Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi. It's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via telehealth. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, our telehealth center, we have brand new telehealth patient options now open and lots of free resources there for you as well. You could check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners, you know, Almost every episode, we're giving away free healthy stuff. And today, I want to give away a free functional medicine telehealth consultation. Most of you know, I started the first functional medicine telehealth center over 13 plus years ago and counting. And that's been my day job this entire time. This podcast is just a natural ripple effect of my focus with our telehealth patients. So, It's what we do 10 hours a day for the past decade plus. And I want to give away one free functional medicine telehealth consult with our clinic. All you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. Leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you could message me, like take a screenshot of that review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And then we'll randomly pick a winner. I'll reach out to you and we'll get your functional medicine telehealth consult set up and scheduled. Good luck. And also before we move on to our guests, be sure to follow The Art of Being Well on Instagram. I put exclusive behind the scenes information about the podcast clips, video clips. Many of you ask for video clips from the interviews. I post some on my main page at Dr. Will Cole, but I get to post so much more podcast stuff on the art of being well on Instagram. So the handle is at T-A-O-B-W, the acronym for the art of being well. So at T-A-O-B-W on Instagram, give me a follow there as well. All right, let's get to today's guest. Her name is Katerina Schneider. 
Katerina is the founder and CEO of a brand that I love. It's called Ritual. Ritual is a health company that is setting a new standard in the supplement industry through traceable science and traceable sourcing. Katerina has been honored on Forbes 30 Under 30, EY Entrepreneur of the Year, Inc. 100 Female Founders, and Marie Claire's New Guard 50. Prior to founding Ritual, Katerina was a venture partner managing a portfolio of over 70 tech investments, including Spotify, Uber, Dropbox, and Warby Parker. She previously served as head of global innovation at Atom Factory and as global lead of digital innovation at Universal Music Group. Let's get right to it. This is Katerina Schneider's Art of Being Well. Kat, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. And I'm a huge fan. Likewise, likewise. It's mutual for sure. So, all right. The supplement industry is, it's, it's, it's a massive industry, right? It's overwhelming to the consumer. And I can't even imagine coming in and being like a positive disruptor. And I say that, you know, with the most utmost respect for what you guys are doing. So you're doing innovative thoughtful, science-backed things. So what made you get into this space? I mean, it's a, it's a scary industry to get into sometimes. It was definitely personal. And I, I love that question because as you said, the industry is massive. It, it's gone from 4,000 to 90,000 supplements in the last 30 years with little to no major updates when it comes to regulation. <laughs> so here you have this kind of explosion in the industry but little kind of oversight into what and how brands are acting and, and what products they're putting out. And for me, it was quite personal. I was actually an investor in LA. I know you're not in LA or New York. Love that. <laughs> and I, I was running a fund in, in, in the technology space, but here I was pregnant and I had to take a prenatal vitamin for the first time. And when I looked at what was out there, there was really a lack of transparency, a lack of traceable science and sourcing. At the time, I was obsessed and I still am about what I'm putting in and on my body. And, and I, it was easy for me to find the sourcing of the food that I was consuming or my family was consuming. And it was easy for me to, to find cleaner products for what bath products we were using and skincare But here was this thing that I was putting in my body every single day for my health and everything from higher levels of heavy metals to artificial colorants to even lacking key nutrients that people needed during some of the most vulnerable stages in their lives. I knew that we deserve better and I knew that I wanted to be the person to to change that and not Mm -hmm. just for the prenatal category, which we launched several years after, after starting the company and now have one of the top selling prenatals in the US, number one in many channels online and Amazon and and in certain retailers as well. But I really wanted to set this new standard for, for the whole category. And that's what we did. We actually- I love it. Yeah. We actually launched um, a multivitamin for Women 18 Plus as our first product. And I, I love talking about that product because it's such an amazing case study of how- we think about the traceability and the necessary traceability in the category. It's a really good case study for how we're doing things differently. That product now has a peer-reviewed and published human clinical study with a leading university. 
it has a patent on the delivery technology. So we're not just thinking about where the nutrients come from, but how they're being delivered in the mm -hmm. body. And it also has USP verification, which less than 1% of supplement companies have and is kind of the only federally you know, recognized certification in, in the space. And so it's this perfect trifecta. So none of this is required, as you know, by the, by the industry or the category, but it feels like a personal mission for me mm -hmm. to do things differently and, and hope that other companies follow suit. Wow. I mean, this is profound. We're going to get into prenatal. I want to pick your brain about what people need to know about prenatals, what to look out for, some myths and truths about that. But can we back up with something you mentioned, uh, traceable science and sourcing, traceability. That's an important concept for people. Why should they care about it? Definitely should care. And maybe what, and what is it, I guess? Yeah. What is it and why should they care? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, not everyone knows. It's, 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 sometimes we, we talk about things internally and then I wonder, I'm like, does, does everyone understand what that means? And traceability is something that we talk a lot about internally. And it's this idea that everyone deserves to know what they're putting in their bodies and why it's not enough to just tell somebody, Hey, we did the work, take our word for it. You know, don't worry about it. We actually show people the proof. So when it comes to something like a clinical study in the industry, this is so wild, but the term clinically studied is not a regulated term. And so it's oftentimes misused and you have companies that are saying, Hey, my product is clinically studied, but many times if you're lucky, the, the ingredients in the products have clinical studies behind them, but they don't often match the dosages or the forms in those clinical studies. And then furthermore, they don't even have a human clinical on the entirety of the product. Originally, we committed to having clinical studies on every single one of our products by 2030. But what we've done even further when we, we published our first human clinical study is we actually published it in a peer-reviewed journal. So there is more consensus scientifically. And if our customers want, they can come, you know, take a look at how many subjects were and, and the double blind placebo control, everything behind that study. And so we're not just saying, hey, we did a clinical study, just take our word for it. We went one step further and are actually showing our consumers the proof. There's so many other areas. I mean, traceable sourcing is another area that I'm really passionate about. We created the first traceable supply chain of its kind. So you can go on our site and you can even see the name of the supplier, the final destination of manufacturing. Then you can even read more about the supplier if you want to geek out like I do. And that's important. And I think that's a big question is like, why, why should I care? You know, why should I care where these ingredients come from? And what we're seeing is that it could actually have a big impact on your health. One area we can talk about later is, is heavy metals. Another area that no one is talking about is actually human rights risk. And so we review all of our ingredients for human rights risk. And so things like child labor or displacing indigenous communities and, and the impact on environment. And so it really does matter where your ingredients mm -hmm. are coming from, not just for your own health, but for the health of the planet and other communities around the world. So that's something that mm -hmm. we think about maybe in food and, and cosmetics, but like this is actually, you know, health products and that should matter. Wow, definitely. So let's talk about, you mentioned the multivitamin kind of pioneering in that space. What are maybe, I mean, there's so many we could talk about. What are the ones that come to mind for you that the things you're talking about, the, 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 the dose of it, the amount of it that's in the multivitamin and the form that it's in to, to that shows the efficacy and the actual health benefit from shown in this, in the clinical studies. 
What are some key ones that you think people should look out for when they're reading the label on the back of a multivitamin or any supplement? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting. I feel like consumers have really had to become their own advocates when it comes to safety and efficacy in the category. And I think it is because of this major explosion and you, what is kind of being compromised is you have incredible packaging, beautiful branding that's coming to market in the space, which I love, but oftentimes that's very hard to mistake for quality. And so quality is something that you almost have to rely on the brand to show up for, because I think one of the biggest myths in the industry is that it's not regulated. It is a regulated industry, but brands have had to kind of step up and be their own advocates for safety and efficacy as well, because the FDA serves in a more reactive way than than a proactive way. They can they have the right to pull products from the market, and so you have to rely on brands. And I think going back to your question is like, what do you what do you look for, and what what do you ask of, of the brands that you're seeing on the market? And so the the one of the the things that I look for and is important you know, for our company is the term clinically studied. As I, as I mentioned, it's really important that the ingredients and the product have clinical studies behind them in the dosages and the forms that match the clinical studies. And if you want to go one step further, there's actually a human clinical study on the entirety of the product. So you know that it's working in your body. Another thing to look for is the term natural. Natural doesn't mean anything. (laughs) It's a term that doesn't always mean that it's clean. And a lot of people assume that plant-based nutrients are better because they're found in nature. And that's not often the case. And I think we need to really separate this idea that this is food and these are supplements. And sometimes actually synthesized molecules will act better and are more bioidentical in your body than some of the natural ones in this category. Mm-hmm. B12 is a really good example of that. It's really difficult to find large amounts of plant-based B12 that that's actually, you know, absorbable by the body. And, and actually it, if it's made in the lab and in the methylated form, it's actually better for the, for people and the planet. The other thing to look for is not to buy into more is more, you know, it's funny. I'm the CEO of a supplement company and I actually want people to buy in less is more taking fewer products and probably following your advice and actually looking for, especially in the multivitamin space, like you have products that have 30 to 40 nutrients and then sometimes three times the required amount of a nutrient. That's not better. In fact, that if you overdose in one nutrient, it it could actually impact the intake and the absorption of other nutrients. And so at Ritual, we, we, we follow a food first approach. We look at people's diets and where can we fill those gaps? And it's actually fewer nutrients than you would imagine. And mm. I will call out that people are still lacking in common a lot of nutrients. Vitamin D, over 90% of people aren't getting enough vitamin D from their diets. And when you look at the forms of vitamin D, oftentimes they come from sheep's wool, which is as a vegan, not something I particularly want want or wanted in my body. Uh, we source our D3 from wild harvested lichen. Omega-3s are another area. They're oftentimes not found in multivitamins, but yet 90% of people are not getting the recommended daily intake of omega-3s. And iron, 90% of pregnant women are not getting enough iron from their diet. 
when I was pregnant and, and looking for a prenatal, I, I was shocked that many prenatals didn't contain choline and 86% of lactating women are not getting enough choline from their diet. So there are these nutrients that are really important, but oftentimes the forms and dosages or even those nutrients in particular are lacking in multivitamins, which are supposed to kind of fill these gaps in, in your diet and be your quote unquote insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you blew my mind that a lot of vitamin D3 is made from sheep's wool. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to know about this. I, I look, I'm in functional medicine. I did not know that sheep's wool was high in vitamin D3, but yet you mentioned yours is from lichen and, and I, I'm thinking of other fat soluble vitamins. Can you talk about some other, like vitamin A comes to mind. Like there's so much misconception of vitamin A, what, why they need it, what source is best. Like what's, What's the research though? What's your position on it? Yeah, vitamin A is something we don't include in our women's multi because women are getting enough vitamin A, but it's, it is actually included in our men's multi. And it, there are different forms of vitamin A. There's beta carotene and um, retinoid and retinol. And it's interesting because I, there is a lot of kind of myths in that space where there could be a clinical study on, on an ingredient and showing that it's actually toxic, but it's only toxic for a certain population. And so I think you really have to be kind of care, careful and self-selecting in, in how and which forms you use and which forms are best for, for different types and, and populations. For instance, we use beta carotene for our, for our uh, postnatal, but we use the retinal form for, for our men's product. Got it. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think vitamin A is a good one. I think the sourcing is really interesting because in some cases, the, the sourcing when it comes from, you know, quote unquote, natural, natural sources is just disgusting. Like sheep's wool is disgusting. It's not necessarily harmful. It's just not something you want to consume, probably consume every single day. Some cases, actually the form or, you know, the availability of the of the nutrient is actually impacts how it gets into the body. And to me, like both those things are important. And I think vitamin A is a good example, but one example that I really like to think about is folate and folic acid. So it turns, I don't, I don't know if it's one that you guys think about in your practice as well, but over, oh, yeah. yeah, a third of people have a genetic variation that makes it more difficult for them to utilize. Me, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> good old MTHFR. Most of the people on my team, I didn't know this when I hired them. You do not have to have an MTHFR gene variant, but to almost all of our telehealth patient team does, which is funny, a homozygous MTHFR and many of our telehealth patients. So a lot of the people that you're talking to, I would say a higher percentage of people, listen up everybody, because most people that have different inflammatory problems, autoimmune problems, there's a high overlap between these gene variants. Sorry for interrupting you. But, no, yeah. I love to hear it because it was actually something that kind of catapulted me into this industry because I saw that many prenatals on the market only had folic acid, which over a third of people couldn't properly utilize. And then sometimes that becomes, you know, stays in your body over time. There's a time where our government fortified our foods with folic acid and our tortillas in our brain yeah. for a while, which is kind of scary, but also good at preventing neural, uh, neural tube defects. But there is a better form and that's methylated folate, which I'm sure you probably as, a, <laughs> as someone who has the gene recommends to your patients and something that was really important for me to include in our prenatal because the form does exist. It's just more expensive to use and it's less stable. So it's harder to get in there 
but it's the right thing to do. And I think at every step and turn is, is a, you know, as you're kind of setting new standards in the industry, you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to spend more money on this because it's the right thing to do. And if more people can actually utilize this in, in their bodies, then we should include it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned methylcobalamin or B12 in the earlier in the conversation, you just mentioned methylfolate, these methylated forms of B vitamins. You highlighted an interesting point that I don't think is talked enough about that when in many cases or in these specific cases, when nutrients are synthesized, they're not necessarily quote unquote natural or from a plant, but they are the more bioavailable healthier version, these synthesized versions. Can you highlight that maybe a bit more so people can understand that, that these are the difference between natural and synthesized. And in this circumstance, the synthesized is the healthier option. Yeah, it's interesting. I think with folate, folic acid is also, is is synthetic. Right. Our our government has, you know, fortifying foods with a synthetic Mm -hmm. vitamin, but methylated folate is interesting because when your body converts the synthetic form, it converts it into a 5-MTHF, which it actually can can utilize. And so there's a conversion step that happens. So when you're, I would say, synthesizing this nutrient, you're creating it into a way that your body can actually utilize. And oftentimes people will have a hard time even getting the folate out of the foods that they're eating. Folate is the natural form. And so it's almost creating something that is more usable by the body, even though it's synthesized. And many times it's biosynthesized. So it comes from a plant source and then it's mm-hmm. created in a lab. Um, our, our K2MK7 is, is this pure crystal. I think it comes from, ger- I know it comes from geranium flower, but it's still synthesized in the lab. And I, and we prefer it over the, the soy form and we prefer it over a K1. But so it, it is interesting because many times it's, it's coming from a, plant and then it's synthesized in a lab to make it more usable and more identical to what you would find in nature and and helping you kind of utilize that form so it's pre-converted. And those are the forms that we really like. I think another issue in the industry is is that like plant-based and kind of quote unquote natural, (laughs) I hate that word, but I seem to be using it a lot today, is that's also not really great for the environment oftentimes. And a lot of times forms like that are not pure or they have high heavy metals. And that's another area that's really like a big passion of ours as well. And thank you. Thank you for shedding light on this topic. So when you talk about traceability, we'll look at sourcing, transparency. You mentioned the heavy metals. Can we go into that? Like why should people be wary of not knowing the sourcing of their supplements? What are some of the things that could be hiding, I guess, in this industry that is regulated, but a lot of things can fall through the cracks. I love that question. And I love talking about heavy metals. It's the weirdest thing of mine that I love talking about, but I I love talking about it because I feel like nobody knows about it. And then when they find out about it, they're just kind of like mortified in a way. And I don't, I hate making people scared because heavy metals are in everything. They're in the water we drink, they're in our soil, they're in all of our foods, but it is the amount that matters. And it's something that we're not necessarily paying attention to. And so I think I mentioned this earlier, but in this industry, there are actually no health protective measures when it comes to heavy metals, which means that there are no limits. And so in a category where you do have a lot of plant-based ingredients, let's take plant-based protein, for instance, 
it's grown in the soil and then it's in this concentrated form, you're getting this elevated amount of heavy metals. And so what I love to say and think about and get people thinking about is like, you think that you're doing something good for your body by consuming plant-based protein instead of animal-based protein, but it actually oftentimes comes with notoriously high heavy metals. And there was a study in 2009 with over 6,000 women who were using herbal supplements and had lead levels that were 10% 10 higher than non-users. And plant-based proteins have concerns over heavy metal contamination levels like lead, cadmium, and arsenic. Again, it's like, it's in everything, nothing to be too worried about, but I think it, it is important to pay attention to the sourcing when it comes to this. And it's a reason why at Ritual, we source our our peas from the U.S. We use regeneratively farmed peas and we decided to not go international for the sourcing of our peas because those came with a lot of unnecessary high heavy metals. And we even listed our heavy metal results on our site. And when we were doing that, we were like, oh, what if people don't know that everything has heavy metals in it? And they're shocked, you know, that ours <laughs> that ours have some heavy metals. And it, it, it was interesting because people were, were actually really appreciative that they could see the amounts. I wish that we, I could see the amounts on everything that I'm personally consuming. It would help me like make educated choices about what I'm consuming holistically. And then I think the other thing is like, that's why third-party certifications are important because there's one in particular, which is Clean Label Project, which tests against the top 200 environmental contaminants and harmful chemicals. And it actually tests for heavy metals, which is amazing. And we actually won the Purity Award from them, oh. um, which was, I, I love that certification. It's, it's one of the few kind of safety certifications in the industry. Right. That's amazing. Congratulations. You mentioned the, the the clinical trial. I want to talk about that for the multivitamin. Like what, what was the outcome of it? What were the findings? Yeah. So it's really exciting. We actually announced last year that we were going to have clinical studies on every single one of our products by 2030. This is double blind placebo controlled studies, which is a big caveat because there's other kinds of studies that can be conducted. And this was our first study and it was great to show how the product works and how it gets into the body. We saw after 12 weeks, we saw 40 plus percent increase in vitamin D levels, which I wasn't sure if that was going to happen, to be quite honest, because when you recruit for a human clinical study, you'd never know when the recruiting is going to be completed. And ours got completed in the summer. And I was like, oh no, everyone's going to have really elevated vitamin D levels, you know, on a university campus in the summer. And it turned out that most people were insufficient still, which was shocking. And so it was really amazing to see that was a primary outcome was the vitamin D levels. And we also published the findings in a peer-reviewed journal, Frontiers Journal, which is in an international recognized journal. And that was important because you, you, there's actually access. Anyone can access the study. And that was important for us as we kind of create more equitable science. There are a couple of studies. We have about five studies that are underway right now with leading universities from Cornell to Exeter, which I'm excited about. They're focused on more areas of women's health in particular. I think when you go to PubMed, if you're a nerd like me and you read studies and you look at NIH, very rarely are they conducted in women and very rarely are they focused in women's health. 
you know, I'm, I'm a big workout person and I've been re- recently like looking into creatine. I'm like, I'd love to take it. And I'm like, where's the study? <laughs> you know, everyone tells me to take it. And, and it's really interesting because when you look at the studies, it's oftentimes conducted in men and then the outcomes, our bodies are, are so different. And so we're excited. There's a, I can't announce it yet, but we're working with a leading university on a study uh, around an area of women's health that's so much bigger than just our products and, and in kind of an understudied area. As I said, we have one of the leading prenatal vitamins in the U.S. So there's a lot we can do there. We also have a postnatal and areas like understanding how nutrition, not just supplementation, has an impact on the quality of human breast milk. And then how that impacts adolescent development is just so, so fascinating to me. I am fascinated. You you are speaking the love language of everybody that listens to this podcast. PubMed is like, it turns everybody on. But the, my husband's love language. <laughs> he's not. He, he's, 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 he's not, not one of us. Now. All right. <laughs> he very love languages, oh, well. yeah. We'll pray. We'll pray for him. It's all right. Okay. All right. So you mentioned earlier about the human welfare. You mentioned sustainability. You're a certified B corporation as well. I mean, I, I think people, they see that term certified B, they don't really know what that means and the, the rigorous standards and requirements for something, someone to even get that, a company to even get that. So can you talk about that? Because congratulations, that's exciting. But also what you mentioned, human welfare, when it comes to supplements, or you mentioned the sustainability of it. What are some things that people need to know in this area? Thanks. I am really proud that we are a certified B Corp. It is. It definitely gets harder to earn that as as you grow as a nine figure plus business. There's a lot more kind of at stake, and um, I'm really proud of 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 achieving that. We also shared our B Corp score with our consumer again, showing how transparent we are as an organization. And there's still areas for improvement for us there. One thing that we think about a lot is that. Our industry is so focused on human health, but we've been asleep at one of the biggest health crises of our time, which is climate change, which is crazy to think about. And it's like, why isn't our industry leading the charge when it comes to sustainability? And that's an area that we've been really focused on since the beginning. We've always chosen vegan ingredients since the beginning. We've always chosen sustainable packaging. And more recently, we announced a series of impact goals. Our first goal was around 100% traceability of ingredients, which we achieved this past year. We also announced 100% sustainable packaging by 2025, which were 70 plus percent of the way there. When you look at our I think it's over 90% of our packaging is made from recycled materials, which is has always been a big passion of mine versus creating something new in the world. How do you repurpose what already exists? And so our multivitamin bottles are made with 100% post-consumer recycled materials. The unit cartons that we sell at Whole Foods and Target are made with 100% post-consumer recycled materials. And I would say we still have a long way to go there. We also announced that we are aiming to be net zero by 2030. And our approach to sustainability is very scientific. We have a science-based organization. We have employed 20 scientists, PhDs, academics, and we think about sustainability in the same way. It's like, if we can't codify it and get things you know validated by the scientific community, what's, what's really the point? 
So that's how we think about sustainability. We're actually the first company in the space to publicly list our carbon emissions by product on our site. So if you go on our product detail pages, you can actually see the amount of carbon by product. And that's just, that's product and packaging together. So that took an immense amount of work. We partnered with companies like Planet Forward and Bluebird. And, you know, you think about Allbirds and Oatly and you think of, we're really the only company publicly in this category to list that out. I think that's important. I think it fa- falls really squarely into our category, into our focus around traceability of, of sourcing and, and really how can you have an impact on human health without having an impact on, on planetary health? They're, they're so intertwined. So intertwined. I think the term you said earlier was, was it net zero? Forgive my ignorance. So I, I don't know about that. Maybe a lot of other people don't know about it. What's, what is that exactly? Yeah. So it's basically, like I said, we we're measuring all of our carbon emissions and we're offsetting them obviously, but it's not enough to just offset them. It's also important to align on a goal of what should they be for a company at our stage and, and size. We had our goals approved by a scientific organization. So we weren't just, you know, faking them up and what we need to do to further reduce those goals. I think when you look at larger corporations, it's not enough to just say, Hey, I just offset this. And I, I paid some money. It's like, actually like, what are you doing to then re- further reduce your carbon emissions? There's a lot of interesting, you know, things where I think the consumers still, people still think about waste and you know, is this recyclable just super important? And but people aren't necessarily always thinking about, you know, how is this being made? What is how what is the carbon impact on the environment? And how does that further impact climate change? There's there's like one example that I was thinking about, and I know you have a collagen product, <laughs> which is awesome. And I think it doesn't fall under this this space, but I, I think about the beauty industry, which is so driven in the adjustable beauty industry, which is so driven by collagen. And what we're seeing now is that collagen is actually has a huge impact, not marine collagen like yours, but um, is impacting deforestation and displacing indigenous communities. And so you think about why that matters. It's not just, you know, how, how this product works in the body, but like, am I contributing to something that is having this really massive negative impact on the environment? Mm -hmm. I mean, beyond that being my preference anyways, from a clinical standpoint, the sustainability when you're talking about marine collagen was really important to me, but I appreciate you highlighting that because you look at the collagen, it's massive. The collagen industry is just huge, but people don't think of the sourcing of it, the quality of it, or the sustainability of it. So thank you for that. You mentioned earlier the deliverability of a, of a supplement which I think that is something I've, I've never talked about. I mean, we talk about bioavailability, which is part of that, I guess, but I guess the delivery system, if you will, of a supplement, like, can you talk about what that is and what makes yours so amazing at being the most deliverable it can, can be? Definitely. I love that conversation. And I would say that we look at all of our products. It's part of our innovation, how we think about developing products is like actually looking at the human body. We hired a a chief scientific officer five years ago, and he has a background in physiology, his PhD in physiology and his ex-faculty at Harvard Medical School. And is an inc- he's built a really incredible team for us. And one of our teammates, she she has a PhD in dose delivery. I mean, who has a PhD in dose delivery? I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is a talk about niche. <laughs> yeah, so it's awesome yeah. for us because it's, it's allowed us to kind of create real patents and, and IP in the category and, and really look at how do we deliver the best outcome for people with these products, not just the ingredients and not just the clinical studies behind them, but like, how is it, how is the body actually working? And we recently launched our sleep product. And what we saw was that there's no, there's an obvious reason why, you know, it's it's no surprise that consumers don't trust the melatonin space. There's a lot of issues like nine out of 10 melatonin gummies are mislabeled. A recent study showed the amount of melatonin in, in the products were over 300% of label claim. Yeah, there's no question why this is kind of a sketchy, wow. I would say, area. But what we saw is the science behind melatonin was really strong and it was it was the most efficacious ingredient when it came to sleep support, especially people that were really struggling. And the industry had kind of just let people down. What we realized was a lot of our consumers that were melatonin users, they were taking melatonin in really large doses in the beginning of the night, and then they were waking up in the middle of the night, and and they were waking up in the morning not rested and groggy. So it was like knocking them out, but then it wasn't keeping up with their body's natural release of melatonin. And so we developed this new technology called BioSeries, and it's a time-release melatonin that actually looks at your body's natural release of melatonin. And unlike other, there's like one or two solutions that are extended release. They release over eight to nine hours, which means like you're still releasing melatonin when you're, you know, chasing your kids around your house. Not a great experience. And so ours gets released over six hours and it's these three beautiful tablets in one. And it's like this stunning, stunning product, but it really thinks about how your body actually works. And we sourced our melatonin from Italy, which was tested for potency and purity. We're actually one of the first companies to use this melatonin in in the nutraceutical space. Previously, it was used in the pharmaceutical space. And so we're really thinking about kind of the, the purity and the potency of the ingredients, but then also the delivery technology. I think Another example of that is is in the gut health space, which I know you're a huge fan of. I am as well. Um, And we launched our Symbiotic Plus, which is a three-in-one pre-post-biotic in a single capsule. And it was important for us to ensure that our probiotics were not getting, you know, eaten alive, I would say, in the stomach, which is not something people think about. And they're like, let me take And it's actually getting destroyed. Like, what are you taking? And so we ran a study in Belgium in vitro study showing that the product got released in the colon, which is the ideal place for the bugs to thrive. And that's another example. I would say our, our multivitamin, which we have the patent on, allowed us to really create this product that has a really high dose of omega-3 DHA, but then also has you know, fat soluble and water soluble nutrients together in one without creating a paste and then also a delayed release capsule that allows certain nutrients to bypass the stomach. And so that's when we got the patent for. And so we think about kind of each problem differently. Sorry to turn nerd out too much, but this is, this is exactly what people want to hear. This is, I thank you for that. Great examples, great examples on deliverability. So you understood the assignment on my question for sure. So the melatonin, people are going to be going and repeating that, like that part and rewinding this episode. That's wild, right? And I see that a lot clinically that people will take it, like they're coming in new patients and they're taking melatonin and they say the same thing, like it knocks them out or they're waking up at night. And it's, 
they're doing it out of desperation, but they're, they're not, it's not really helping their energy levels or their sleep or their sleep scores are not staying. They're not improving on when we're tracking it on, you know, or or whoop or something like that. So I love that. So six hour release and people can have that sort of perfect, it's mimicking that sleep wake cycle, right? Yeah. It's interesting. It's the first little, you, you, you have to see it. It's like the most beautiful product. The first little tablet is one milligram. So you're actually getting one milligram as an instant release. And then you're getting three milligrams that are slow release and then one milligram at the end that helps you taper off. I don't, I I like to say it's like, I don't know if this is accurate, but like as a non-scientist who's surrounded by science, to me, it's like, feels like microdosing in a way where it's like, I'm not taking a huge dose of something and I feel better. And, but that's how I think about it. And I think when you think about it, like if, if your patients are coming in, they're like, I'm waking up in the middle of the night, but I'm knocked out. And I think my friends are as well they're actually probably taking way more melatonin than they think they are because especially with forms like gummies and others, it's really hard to control the dosage. And as I mentioned before, the space is not, is regulated, but it's really up to the companies to kind of enforce that regulation. Got it. So I, I'd love to get your, I mean, I know I'm looking at it from a more of a clinical perspective with patients, right? But you're in the the product space. You mentioned regulations, but it's it's up to the company to really do right. And, and it's more reactionary, not delving into politics too much, but like, what do you think the solution is? Like, is it better to have more regulations from the state or is it better to like, how can we do better, but still have freedom of choice when it comes to people deciding for themselves what they want to put in their body? A great question. I'm on the side of, I'm on the camp and Rachel's on the camp of more regulation. I think that we owe that to the consumers, especially with the rise of so many products and so many environmental contaminants. And as I mentioned, heavy metals, I would say the Mm -hmm. risk there is that you probably wouldn't have as many products coming to market, which is really exciting as a consumer. Like I want to take everything, but I think that would improve the quality of what's out there. And it would make consumers less in the seat of having to fend for themselves. And like, does this product have Mm -hmm. good speed certification? Does it have a clean label? Because I want to make sure it doesn't have heavy metals or glyphosate. Mm -hmm. And we've advocated, we've sent letters, we're working with Congress and we've sent letters to Congress around two areas, as I mentioned, that we feel really strongly about in the space, which is around clinical studies and the more regulation around heavy metal and health protective measures. Those are two areas that we feel are very clear. And I would say that I don't, there's many companies that don't, don't agree with us. And I, and I know it's a contentious area, but that's, that's all we can do. We can fight for it. We can also set our own goals of, like I said, having human clinicals by 2030 and then, you know, getting those peer reviewed and published and and just being an example for other, other Mm -hmm. companies in the industry. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I agree with you. I think of, you know, you really can't have informed consent without transparency. And, you know, not all companies are going to have traceability and transparency like you and your sort of moral, you know, ethical compass of wanting to go the extra mile, which all of this stuff costs more money and more time and more due diligence, which is is not the lazy path. Like you did the actual like, path that takes a lot of work and time. 
So I, I agree with you. My thought would be like, okay, Australia, I think Australia is a good example of at least telehealth patients that I have there and like knowing, seeing it from that side is that they have a lot more regulations on the wording and the claims and the human clinical trials or clinical trials to show the effectiveness of something. So I think something like that could be better in some ways. My only concern is sometimes regulations are then weaponized against certain industries, right? I think to basically whitewash the data they don't want and it's basically gatekeepers for the, their friends. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it's, I think it can get convoluted and abused, but as long as there's open honesty, transparency in the regulations where everybody knows the rules and it's for the better of the consumer, truly better for the consumer, then I'm all for it because I, I want the best for my patients. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's why we've focused on those two areas that I mentioned, heavy metals and clinical studies, because it's so clear. There's no misinformation there. It's like, these are two areas that would benefit the consumer immensely. And we should at least be talking about them more. Things to your point around cost, it is really costly. Like some of these certifications for us have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. The testing, you know, over there has cost millions and millions of dollars. And in it's the right thing to do, but as a lot of companies that are in the startup phase and we want to see them out there because they're innovating and creating amazing things, it's, it's actually quite hard to, you know, to make sure that everyone has, for instance, USB verification from the get-go. For us, I, I got lucky because I was an investor and I had relationships in the venture capital community and raised, you know, significant amounts of capital to kind of like, like, hey, I'm going to start this thing and I'm going to pour millions of dollars into this to do the right thing and kind of show the industry how we can do things differently. But I know that that's not always the case. And it doesn't mean that, that you know, there aren't amazing companies out there that don't have this, the, necessarily the certifications or the clinical studies, but they are, they do have what's on the label. They don't, they are doing third-party testing. I think third-party testing is the minimum. And like, as a consumer and people listening, that should be the minimum of what they kind of request or or look for in their brands. And I would go one step further and, and like email the the company and say, what kind of third-party testing do you do? I think you can tell a lot by people's responses and how they, you know, we would personally love to get that information, you know, email. And so I think you get a lot from just like communicating to the company. If you don't know, if you're like concerned about something, just like email them, DM them on Instagram, whatever. Not everyone has a, a clinical study or even a certification and maybe they'll get them someday, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. We have to talk about prenatal. So you mentioned it earlier, you mentioned B12 specifically. What are some key nutrients people should be looking out for and maybe forms of them or doses of them? What are some like top of the line things that people need to be look out for when it comes to prenatals? Definitely a good question. I, I mentioned this earlier, but I would look for a methylated form of folate. So methylated folate is really important, especially if you don't do the genetic testing and you don't know that you have the gene variant that you have, Will, and then over a third of people have. And it's just kind of a safeguard that you're getting you know, a form that is utilized by the body if you do have that gene variant. Other things that are important in prenatals, I often find that DHA is a separate product in prenatals, but it is super important to brain health and a lot of stuff that's super important during that time. And and something that actually I think should be really included 
in a high amount in the prenatal. And I would look for actual DHA amount and not just the overall omega-3 amount. I think that's something people often get confused on. And they just say, oh, this has 350, you know, milligrams of fish oil or, or whatever. And it's actually important. Ours has 350 milligrams of DHA, which corresponds to actual clinical studies. Choline is another thing that is lacking from, from prenatals. I even wish we had more. And I'm really interested in that in choline. It recently became an essential nutrient. And, you know, I think we'll get a lot more recognition in the coming years, especially when it comes to things like methylation and brain development. And iron, I would say, is obviously really important during during that time as well as biotin. It's interesting, most people aren't lacking in biotin, but during during pregnancy, you actually need more. And, and as, as all the different reactions and everything happening in your body, the need for biotin increases. So one other thing I would add is that People think about prenatals, and this is something we've been really focused on at Ritual, is a lot of times people in this country think about prenatals when they're actually pregnant and not before they're pregnant. And and that's a really important conversation because first 28 days are actually when the neural tube forms and half of people we saw were actually not taking a prenatal before they were pregnant. And so it's actually the pre-pregnancy phase is when you should be thinking or when you're not, not trying and to kind of, you up. <laughs> yeah, to set you up for, for success. And then the other area that I'm, that I'm really interested in is our postnatals. Postnatal is like one of the most, you know, in this country, we think about, oh, the mom just had a baby, like, okay, stop taking the prenatal or continue taking the prenatal. It's all about the baby, but that's one of the most nutritionally demanding stages of our lives. And went against the grain and we actually created a separate postnatal in the space. And that was really important to me because the focus should be on the mom. It's such an important time in healing and getting the right nutrients. And also if you are breastfeeding and you have that chance, it's really important because nutrients that you consume will be passed down into the breast and into and impact the quality of what the baby is consuming as well in their development. So that's that's kind of how I would think about it. There's obviously elevated needs during both those stages that you don't have in kind of, you know, the regular stages of your life. Okay. What's I mean, I'm sure there are many differences as far as dosages and different ingredients between the pre and the postnatal. What are, what's like one of the I guess main differences if if you will. The main differences between the prenatal and the multi are the need for more biotin as a biotin metabolism changes, the higher amounts of folate, higher amounts of iron, and a higher need for omega-3 DHA. I would say those are some of the, the main main differences between the two products. I'd love if you could real quickly walk us through what's a day in the life? Like what's a ritual ritual look like? Like morning, lunch, dinner, throughout the day. How do you use the ritual products? So how do I use the ritual products? I am a mom of three, actually. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I I started the company when I was pregnant, had my daughter. She's actually the inspiration behind the brand. And now I have three girls, three, five, and seven. 
And I, when we think about designing products, it's it's like for, for me, it's like, how, how do you design that? No, I'm just kidding. But how do you design products for kind of this busy, really healthy skeptic? And how do you just actually make it really easy and convenient? One thing I think about a lot is just how do you elevate a routine to a habit, to a ritual, the ritual being something that people look forward to taking and using every single day. And that's how we developed our products. They actually have all different essence essence flavors. And so our multivitamin has a mint flavor. Our, our sleep product has a vanilla flavor. Our prenatal has a citrus flavor because it was something that I personally craved during my pregnancy. And, and our digestive product also has a mint flavor. And so what's interesting about our technology, because a lot of them are delayed release, they can be taken on an empty stomach. And so it just makes things a lot easier. So for me personally, you know, I'll wake up and I actually don't eat anything. <laughs> I'm in the intermittent fasting camp. But when I when I'm having my first meal, I'll actually do a protein smoothie. So I use our plant-based protein and, and I'll also give my kids some as well. And I love our protein because it also has some choline and it's a complete amino acid protein, which is rare in the plant-based space. I'll also at night, my ideal is just taking all my supplements at night. I love because we have an adjustable skincare product. I think about it as skincare. So when I'm doing my nighttime skincare routine, I'll take my our product that has hyaluronic acid and phytoceramides. And at the same time, I'm doing my skincare routine and I'll also take our symbiotic product for digestive health and our multivitamin and I would say I'm not a I'm not a daily melatonin user, but I travel a lot. And so at night, occasionally I'll use our our um, sleep product, especially during crazy travel times. And that's that's about it. I think a lot of times people ask me, like, can I what's the best time to take this? And I think the best time to take supplements in general is like when you remember to take them and we find that most people forget or they don't taste good or, you know, it's not a good experience. We try to make ours the best possible experience. People literally like sniff our bottles. And so, you know, I would say just take it when you remember to take it. And as our brand name suggests, ritual, like how do you form a ritual around this? One, I'm a big habit, like aficionado. I, I read, you know, Power of Habit. I'm really interested in how do you form habits? And one, one habit tip is actually pairing your supplements with another habit that you have in the house. So if you're, you know, if you're reading before bed every night, put, put your supplements next to your book, or if you're brushing your teeth, what is it? The other thing that you do every day. And if you kind of put that thing next to the thing that you're doing every day, it really helps you remember. Great tips. Great tips. As you know, the podcast, it's called the art of being well at the end of every episode, we have your art of being well, this is Kat's art of being well. First question is what is the worst tasting healthy food? It tastes freaking disgusting, but you still have it every day because it loves you back. You have some amazing health science behind it. That's a funny inside joke with a friend. I love natto, which fermented soybeans. I don't know if you ever had them. Oh, I've had them and they smell. Yeah, it's like, horrible. It's so fermented that when you pull them apart, it almost has like a stringy yes. goo that comes across. I, I hated them at first. And now I just like love the weird taste. <laughs> I love it. And it's one of the best sources of vitamin K2 because of the fermentation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Great. If you had to pick coffee or tea, what would you pick? Ooh, that's tough. I am a big matcha drinker, but I feel that recently I've also been into kind of weight training and, and strength training. And I am 
Oh, I have, I, it's so hard to choose. I'm like either in the Americano camp or, <laughs> or the matcha <laughs> with my homemade almond milk and like other things that I add to it. Oh, ooh, this is like the hardest question. I, I would say tea camp. Tea, matcha, traditional matcha. Are we just like whisking it, doing it straight up? I used to do that. And then I ran out of time with three kids and a company and I discovered, <laughs> I discovered this deep milk frother that you can get and you can actually put, you can put water, you can put, you know, your homemade almond milk or whatever floats your boat and the, and the matcha and any other herbs or anything you want in there into the deep frother. And it just frosts everything up and, and heats it up at the same time. So that's been my go-to because the whisking is just you know, who has time for that every day? Yeah. Who has time to whisk? I mean, come on. But no, that sounds really more convenient. What's, the, is there, do you know the name of the frother? I want to try this. It's the, literally, there's so many. I think it's like Breville or Brel and there's, there's so many brands like Nespresso. That they all make these deep frothers with kind of a cup, like almost like a cup at the top. So it's not, a, it's okay. not like a frother. Whisk. Yeah, it's not a whisk. Yeah, it's right. not a whisk because it literally heats up whatever you put in there as well. And I just, it creates a really nice, it was kind of a big unlock for me. I was like, oh, well, I can also add, you know, a little fiber here <laughs> into this situation or a little lion's mane, you know? So I feel like yeah. it, it allows you to kind of experiment with your morning beverage, but I never put coffee in there. I would say. Got it. Got it. What is, if you had to pick your favorite restaurant in the world and when you're there, what do you order? My favorite restaurant is actually not in LA, I love ABCV, which is Jean-Georges vegetarian restaurant. I love it so much because I am definitely a plant-based eater, but I hate when plant-based food tries to be meat. I'm a weirdo that just like actually loves the taste of vegetables. And I feel like it's one of the few elevated vegetarian, vegan restaurants in the U.S. that actually celebrates vegetables for what they are. Mm -hmm. So I love the lentil dish they have there. There's a really good shiitake mushroom dish, which I feel like they like marinate the shiitakes before they, they roast them. And it's just, it's like a, a pleasant surprise, just how delicious he makes his vegetables. I think there's something really amazing about kind of like French pine, like French cooking cuisine inspired to really healthy living because you're finally getting like fine <laughs> elevated food versus, you know, one of those patties of process. process. <laughs> yeah. Plant I love it. R real foods, real foods. Yeah. Is that, I'm assuming that's in New York, right? It's in New York. I always, anytime I'm in New York, I'm there almost every week, <laughs> every other week now, which is kind of crazy, but I love that place. I also love Hungawi, which is a Korean vegan restaurant in New York too. I love a lot of the kind of fermented foods, Korean foods. And it's cool that, that you can have vegan versions of them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really cool. I like the ABC Kachina, which isn't vegan, but they have vegan options there. The, the um, ambiance, like the vibe of the restaurants are really cool. Yeah. I, it's all part of, it was all part of ABC Carpet, I think. They yeah. have a lot of great restaurants, but I, I have you been to ABCV yet? No, I haven't. What street, what part of the city it, is it? It's on like 19 or it's like 20 it's um near flat it's in Flatiron, but i think they're all okay. it's right next to abc kitchen and okay so, yeah they're right around each other same around the same area okay i would say dinner time is better i wouldn't go there for lunch i mean lunch i like lunch there too but i feel like dinner is when you they have a 
a lot more foods on the menu. I do think at lunchtime they have a burger. If that's not, a, <laughs> I don't want to call it the brands. <laughs> it's not a branded burger. It's their own patty. And I think they use hemp and other and mushrooms and, and different vegetables. And I love, I feel like that's a novelty these days to find like a homemade vegan burger patty that's not processed. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, it. yeah, I hear what you're saying. This has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn about these amazing products you have out, all the science you talked about? They can get nerd out with the traceability, all, all the things, where do they go? You go to ritual.com. They can go on at ritual on Instagram. We are also now available at Target nationwide, at Whole Foods nationwide, on our multivitamins. And then we're also available on Amazon. So kind of creating more accessibility to where our products are found. But I would say ritual.com is the hub and, and there's a lot more information and you can actually kind of geek out on our clinical studies and our traceable supply chain. If, if you're into that thing, you can see where omega-3s are coming from, Nova Scotia from microalgae to D3 from wild harvested lichen and K2MK7 from Norway and really geek out on that if, if you choose to do it. I've been on the site I, and I've gone through all of them there. I love, I love knowing not only the source, but where they come from, like the, I, I love that. So thank you. As a lover of geography, I appreciated that. So, and I have a code for people. It's use code being well, all one word, code just being well at checkout at ritual.com for 40% off your first month. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. So I don't think you. we normally do that. So that's awesome. Hey, <laughs> somehow I got it. <laughs> yeah, how'd you get that? <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm going to give it to all I'll, my I'll, friends I'll, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll talk to somebody. I'll let you know about it. <laughs> all right, my friend, talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.